Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, people of God. The Lord is risen. We are grateful to gather in his presence week after week. He's always alive, and Sunday's a little Easter, but this Sunday is the day we celebrate so fully his resurrection, victory over death, and the grave. After Jesus' resurrection, there were a number of really fierce conversations between him and various of his disciples. There was that conversation when he met Mary in the garden in her grief, and she mistook him for the lawn guy. And they, he talked to her about her mourning. And then there was the conversation that afternoon with these two disciples who were making their way from Jerusalem to the little village of Emmaus. And they were arguing about what had been taking place in Jesus. The risen Lord joined them on the road and entered into conversation with them and began to teach them from the Old Testament about the necessity of his suffering and death. And then they finally recognized him when they sat at their home and broke bread and he revealed himself to them. There was a really fierce conversation that same evening back in Jerusalem when the risen Christ appeared right in the midst of uh, 10 of his disciples who had gathered there. Judas wasn't with them and Thomas missed church that night and so there were only 10 and he came to them in their fear. They had the doors locked because of fear of the same authorities that had arrested and put Jesus to death and he talked to them about peace and about his presence. Then a week later, there was a really fierce conversation between him and Thomas, who was in church that Sunday night, and he had brought all of his doubt with him, and Jesus had this fierce conversation with Thomas about what it means to believe. But maybe my favorite story of all the resurrection stories of Jesus is that story that recorded in John chapter 21. It is that really fierce conversation with Simon Peter. It's a conversation about a number of things. It's about failure, it's about love, and it's about restoration after failure. You know the story, perhaps. It's been some time since Jesus' resurrection, and he hasn't showed up for a few days, and Peter was getting kind of antsy, and so he said to his friends, let's go fishing. That's what he used to do. He was a fisherman. And so they got their boat out of Simon Peter's garage and got it all fixed up. They put it back out into the Sea of Galilee. They went out. They fished all night long, and they caught absolutely nothing. Now, Peter is a professional fisherman. He used to do that for a living. But in the gospel stories, he never catches any fish without God's help. And he didn't catch any fish that night. And so the next morning, dawn is rising. It's a little foggy there on the Sea of Galilee, that little freshwater lake in the northern part of the country. And there's a figure on shore who calls out to these fishermen just offshore and says, you guys catch anything? And that's an awful question to ask a fisherman who's caught nothing. No, we didn't catch anything. He says, try throwing your nets on the other side of the boat. 
Now, fishermen who have caught nothing are rather desperate and will take the advice of anybody about anything. And so they said, why not? They threw the nets on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden the weight was so intense, it reminded them of a day just like that about three years earlier when Jesus had put out in their boat and they had caught no fish. And Jesus said, throw your nets out here into the deep. And when they did, they caught so many fish, the nets were breaking. And now the weight of that net now just reminded them of that. And Peter turns and looks and John says to him, it is the Lord. And Peter said, that's good enough for me. He strips off his jacket and jumps into the water and starts swimming ashore to see Jesus. Now, Peter's fairly impulsive about many things that he does, and this was one of those moments where his impulses really got the best of him because as he starts swimming ashore, he realizes this is going to be the very first time that he's been face-to-face with Jesus since that awful night just not many days ago when he had three times denied that he even knew Jesus. He had betrayed him. He had denied him. And now he's going to be face-to-face with him. I think he started swimming a lot slower at that point. And by the time he got to shore, the guys had dragged these nets ashore, and he went over and helped them pull the fish onto the shore. One of the interesting things about that story in John is it says that the nets had a certain number of fish. And you know how, how many fish were in the nets? 153. What a strange detail to include in a story like that. Interpreters have gone kind of creative about what that might mean. Uh, Some have suggested that that meant there was one of every species of fish in the Sea of Galilee was in that net, indicating that people from all nations would eventually be gathered into the kingdom. That's pushing it a little bit. Uh, Some have suggested that the number 153 is a triangular number. If you had an equilateral triangle with 17 units on each side, it would have 153 units in it, and they said it was a symbol of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's kind of pushing it, too. If anybody's ever been a fisherman, you know why the number is given. You catch a lot of fish, you know exactly how many fish you caught, and you will report it. Now, I think Peter is over there counting the fish, and he's reluctant to face Jesus. I I think the reason we know the number of fish is because he's doing the counting. And when he gets to like 137, 138, and they're going, Peter, food's on the table over here. It's time to eat. And he's, ah, you messed me up. I got to start over again. One, two. But at any rate, at some point, they get the fish in. Jesus already has fish prepared, breakfast prepared on a charcoal fire, and the disciples gather around the Lord saying absolutely nothing but eating that broiled fish that morning. And then the fierce conversation picks up in chapter 21, verse 15. It's when Jesus summons Peter and says, let's go for a walk. And now they go walking along the shore together. And Jesus asked Peter the hard question. He said, Peter... Do you love me? That was a humbling question for Peter to get. And Peter responds to Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. And they walk a little further. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. And they walk a little further. 
Then Jesus asked the third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You, you know that I love you, Jesus said. Take care of my sheep. That was this strange, important conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter. Question three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus could have asked about a lot of other things. He could have questioned Peter about the past. Peter, he could have said, did you, did you deny me three times? Peter, did you keep your promise that you made to me that you would follow me no matter what? Peter, have, have you forsaken faithfulness to me? Peter, do you admit to? He could have gone back into Peter's past and just pounded him with questions about that. There was plenty to ask questions about. But the past was something that Peter had no control over. Jesus knew that, and Jesus knew about Peter's failure. Peter knew about his failure. Jesus had prophesied it. Peter had been devastated by it. And there was enough in their surroundings to remind them both of it. John uniquely says that when Peter was warming himself by the fire in the courtyard of the high priest where he denied Jesus, he was warming himself over, John says, a charcoal fire. And when Peter comes ashore that morning on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus has fish over a charcoal fire, a particular aroma. You know how aromas can bring back memories. The last time Peter had smelled that aroma, he had been denying Jesus. And then three times Jesus asked him, just like three times he had denied him. There was plenty to remind them both of the past, but Jesus didn't bring up the past. Nothing is said about the past. He could have asked him about his future. He could have said, Peter, I need to know, do you promise, will you guarantee, can you assure me, and ask him to make some commitments about the future, about what he would or would not do. But Peter didn't, wasn't asked for any promises or assurance. He had offered those before. In the upper room, he had said, I don't care what anyone else does. I will never forsake you. And that's when Jesus had said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny that you even know me. Peter swore it would never happen. He might have been well-intentioned, but those promises were empty. And he wanted to do right by Jesus, but he just found he could not when the pressure was there. He had followed closer than others. He had gone all the way to the high priest's courtyard when the others had already forsaken him and fled in the garden. But when push came to shove at the end of it, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Anybody who's been disappointed by empty promises sometimes will, is reluctant to ask for more. Anybody that's failed to keep those promises is reluctant to make them. And Jesus doesn't even ask him about the future. He doesn't ask him about his past or about his future. Instead, he turns to the present. And he asks Peter not about what he will do or what he has done or anything about Peter's behavior. He asks him about his heart. He says, do you love me? Is your love for me intact? Have your affections for me waned? Does there still beat in your heart a passion to please, a passion to obey, a desire to follow? Do you love me, Peter? That was his question. The first time he asked that question was kind of humbling, I think. Do you love me more than these is the way he asked it the first time. Do you love me more than these? It's a bit ambiguous. We're not sure what the these are. He could, if we could see the video, we would know. What did he point at when he said that? Do you love me more than these fishing 
this fishing gear, the stuff that you uh, have turned back to, your old life, the stuff you once walked away from. Do you love me more than these things? Maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he pointed to Peter's friends there that were with him. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love your friends? Or was he saying, do you love me more than these people love me? Because that had been Peter's boast that night in the upper room. I don't care what anyone else does. I will follow you. I love you more than these love you. Uh, he had said that his love was superior to the others. And maybe that's what Jesus meant. I don't know. But Peter is more humble now. He doesn't boast about anything. He says, Lord, you know I love you. The relationship, the desire to please you, the passion to obey and to follow, Lord, it's still there no matter what I've done. Beyond the failure, beyond the shame, my love for you has not vanished. But will Christ accept that? See, that's the point of Jesus' question, I think. He knows Peter's heart. Peter knows that Jesus knows his heart. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. He says it three times, but Jesus is not asking the question to gain information for himself to find out if Peter loves him. He is pointing Peter to look into his own heart and to see that, yes, despite all that's happened over the last few days, that ember of love and affection and desire to please Christ is still there in Peter's heart. And Peter's the one that needs to see that, not Jesus. Three times he asked him. This significant question. And as Peter is, is given the opportunity to publicly affirm his love three times, once for each of the times he had publicly denied him. Three times the question fell, not on Peter's ears, but on his heart. Jesus isn't challenging Peter's love. He's revealing it. He is showing it to Peter. He's not even questioning whether he exists. He's asking Peter to look deep inside himself and see if that still motivates him for living and for serving. The lesson has to be learned, and so he drives it home again and again and again. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter humbly responds, I do. The question doesn't rebuke Peter. It restores Peter. It's an opportunity for Peter to be drawn back in and to know that what is past is past and that forgiveness and grace prevail and that he is servant of Jesus Christ. The relationship is primary. Why do you think Jesus focuses on the issue of love here rather than any other things, of all the things he could have asked him? I think one of the reasons he does that is because it does. The love question focuses on the relationship with God. And that relationship is the most important part of our life in the kingdom of God. We, we do not earn our way into the kingdom of God. We come into a relationship with God. We become his sons and daughters. We are asked to love him. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is that word given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. There's nothing more important than that, Jesus said. And so he asked Peter about that because it focuses on the relationship. The most important thing about your life and mine as, re as regards our God is our relationship with God and our love for God. And so we're asked, like Peter, to ask the question, does there still beat in our hearts a desire to please him, a desire to 
follow him and serve him. Maybe it was once there in a life, but it's grown cold over time. But if there's still an ember, if there's still a piece of that, God knows it and he wants us to know it. And he asks us the question, do you love me? Love for Christ is what governs our obedience to him. It's why we're obedient, not because Christ has a lot of rules and we're rule keepers and we keep them. It's because we love him. Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 23 in John, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Love is the reason for our obedience to him in the first place. We want to please him whom we love. Love is at the basis of our gratitude to him. We love because he first loved us and out of gratitude we love in return. Love is the thing that orders the priorities of our life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ constrains us. It focuses us. It gives us direction. We love him above all others. It sets the priorities of our life. The love question focuses on our relationship with God. I think one of the reasons Jesus asked it. But the love question is also the one that qualifies us for compassionate service to God. After each question, Peter responds with his confession, Lord, you know I love you. Not boastfully, not proudly, but humbly with a broken heart. Lord, you know that I love you. And each time after Peter's confession of his love, Jesus responds with a little brief commission for him, doesn't he? Feed my sheep, my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, he says to them. Peter, I want to place you back into service You've been called to take care of my people, and I put you back into service. Tend them, feed them, care for them. I've tended to read those statements in the past primarily like if-then statements, like if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, take care of my sheep. But, and maybe that's what he meant, but I've been reading them sort of differently of late. I think what these words are, they're kind of like a qualifying interview for a job. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Jesus is looking for someone to shepherd his sheep, to care for his world, to care for his people, to take care of those that he loves. He's looking for people to serve him in that way. But the qualifier is you can't do this for your own glory. You can't do this because you want power. You can't do this in order to gain position. If you want to serve me, I need to know that you love me. Because the one who loves me can take care of my sheep. Peter, if you love me, then you're qualified. There's no place in the kingdom for selfish shepherds. Back in the 7th century before Christ, the prophet Ezekiel just lambasted the religious leaders of his day. He called them false shepherds. Chapter 34, he says things like, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? A couple of verses later, he says, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. A couple of verses later, he said, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. 
sort of portrays these false shepherds as really wolves in shepherd's clothing that are devouring the flock rather than caring for the sheep that God loves. Jesus, in John chapter 10, spoke of himself as the good shepherd. And he says this, The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus is questioning Peter about his love and then telling him, tend my sheep, he's affirming that the one who loves him and only the one who loves him qualifies him, is qualified to care for his sheep. He wants no hirelings in this business. He wants no one with selfish agendas. He wants no power plays. He wants no personal kingdom building. He wants shepherds who love him. And those become qualified to care for his sheep. I, I kind of think it's interesting. He doesn't ask, do you love my sheep? He wants to know, do you love me? If you love me, then you're qualified to take care of those that I love. Peter learned that from his master. It's not difficult to hear that event there on the Sea of Galilee echoing in Peter's own words in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The need for servants in the kingdom of God is always great. The need for workers in the church is unending. There's so much to do. Everyone's gifts and abilities and efforts and sacrifice are necessary and needed, but there is a qualifier there. Don't step into those roles of caring for God's people unless there is first a love for Christ. That needs to be at the heart of it. The qualifier is this, do you love me? I'm impressed that he keeps that relationship with himself at the core of qualifying people for service. The question is not, do you love my lambs, but do you love me? He doesn't speak to Peter about other qualifications. There are a lot of skills that can be learned as they're needed, but the love relationship is the thing that qualifies one to serve. I'm convinced that's a sword that cuts both ways. How can we love Christ and not want to serve him? How can we serve him without loving him? It's absolutely necessary. Hear that question. Do you love me? And answer it. And then hear the commission that follows it. Feed my sheep. They need you. And then he asked the love question because it is the question that calls forth sacrificial service from those who follow Christ. He probes pretty deeply into Peter's heart with this question. Do you love me? How far are you willing to go with me? He's, now he speaks of Peter's future for the first time. Once before, he had looked into the eyes of this fisherman and seen the love that was there, but also known the weakness. And when Peter had protested, Lord, no matter what anyone else does, I'm going to follow you. Jesus knew. John chapter 13, verse 36 says, Simon Peter asked him. This is when they were in the upper room on Thursday night. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going. You can't follow now, but you will follow later. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But now it's different. Peter knows too much about leaning on his own strength and his own abilities. He knows of God's ability to take care of one who trusts him through deep suffering, and he loves Christ. He, he really does love Christ. And so this time, Jesus looks into the fisherman's eyes and sees what's there now. And he says to Peter, I see in you a future that will succeed against the demands of the world. I see in you a future that is willing to take up a cross. I see a shepherd ready to lay down his life for the sheep. I see a passionate desire to please me no matter what the personal cost. And so Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, chapter 21, there on the shore, Peter, I want to tell you the truth. When you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will straight, stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And John says, he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After he said this, he said to him, follow me. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not wish to be crucified right side up like his Lord. He did lay down his life. He did take up his cross because there was a love and a devotion that was willing to sacrifice. There's a novel uh, called Quo Vadis based on an old legend about Simon Peter. According to the legend, Nero was persecuting the Christians in Rome and they were fleeing the city and Peter also was fleeing the city and as he left the city of Rome, he encountered Jesus walking toward him and he, he says to the risen Lord approaching him, Quo vadis, Domine, where are you going, Lord? And Jesus said, if you desert my people, I'm going to Rome to be crucified a second time. And Peter fell on his face and then uh, got up and turned around and headed back to the city. The servant boy that was with him said to Peter, Quo vadis, Domine, where are you going, Master? And according to the tradition, Peter said, to Rome. And according to the tradition, there he was crucified. When Jesus told Peter the kind of death the apostle would die, he knew it wasn't going to be anything other than suffering. And he wouldn't be the only disciple to die violently. In fact, most of those early followers of Jesus died a painful death in this world. But it was because they loved him. And it was love that called forth that sacrificial service. Far too much of what we do is for the wrong motivation. We do it because we feel guilty or we do it to earn praise or we do it to get people's attention. But it is the love for Christ that draws out authentic sacrificial service from the people of God. One who serves out of love learns the joy of serving. Do you love me? The answer to that question determines how far one is willing to go to do the will of God. For Peter, it meant laying down his life ultimately. But love made it possible because he had already seen love do such a thing on a cross. It's evident that when John narrated this dramatic encounter between the risen Christ and his disciple who had failed, he intended this story for a wider audience because you and I failed too. We profess more than we live, and sometimes we feel the guilt and shame of that. And we need to know that in that state, 
Christ comes to us and he doesn't ask about our past and he doesn't ask about our future. He asks about our heart. Do you love me? Our answers can vary. We might say like Peter, Lord, yes, you know I love you. Or honestly, we might say, Lord, you know I once loved you, but I now longer, no longer have that desire to please you I once had. I, I live far more to please myself. Or you might say, Lord, I desire to love you, but my heart's grown cold, but I want to. Or no, Lord, I fear that I have not come to love you. Whatever the honest answer is, he wants to hear it because he wants us to look into our heart. It may be that we can't answer as forthrightly as Peter did, but we just want to go to him this morning and say, Lord, I do love you. I want to love you more. Lord, I once loved you, but I've grown cold, and I want to see it refired, restored. And he is there to respond to failed, fallen disciples like Peter who are willing to love him. Let's pray together. Our Father, uh, you do not ask us such a question in order to get information about our hearts. You already know. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to know truly where we stand with you and truly what love we have for you. Where you find it, we pray that you would inflame it and commission us to serve you and draw deeply from our hearts no matter what the sacrifice. We ask, risen Christ, that we could encounter you in our failure and our, sometimes our shame, just as Peter did, that we might be restored to follow. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.